Crossing Cultures 101 is a class designed to educate those who attend Crossroads Christian Church and mobilize them into further steps of obedience towards becoming disciples who make disciples. The two and a half hour class will cover multiple topics like who is my neighbor, listening to God, the state of the church, and more. You'll hear from one of our ministry partners about opportunities for you to get involved. The course also serves as a first step for those considering joining a short-term mission trip from Crossroads. Regardless of what brings you, you'll be glad you came. Contact me if you're ready to sign up or if you're interested in learning more. Be sure to keep an eye out for the next Crossing Cultures 101 class. Hi, I'm Nikki, and here's a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. If you've ever wondered what small groups are all about, you'll wanna check out our next Group Connect. It's a great way to learn what small groups are available and check out which ones fit your style. The goal of Group Connect is for you to leave already knowing some of the people who will be in your small group. Our next Group Connect is Tuesday, September 13th at 6.30 in the gym. Childcare is provided for kids that are fifth grade and under. To stay up to date on what's going on here at Crossroads, download our Crossroads Now app. It's a new app we released that allows you to see the church calendar, view sermon notes, and even give your weekly offering. You can find this app in both the App Store and on Google Play. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check out our bulletin or go online to cccgo.com. My name is Eric Cummings, and I'm the Executive Director of Community One. And Community One is a Christian, nonprofit organization serving Evansville, Indiana. And at the heart of our work is the commandment from Christ to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we got into this work uh, a few years ago. Crossroads has actually birthed Community One and launched Community One out into our city uh, for the purpose of mobilizing our church, people of faith, all, and all churches, and our community as a whole to reach into neighborhoods where there is great need. But really the purpose of Community One is to bring the tools and the training and the opportunities to engage life on life with people in neighborhoods. We've been doing this for a few years now, and this is our sixth house I'm standing in right now. We're in the Teepee Park neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood in Evansville, but it's got a lot of challenges, a lot of vacant housing. Uh, the poverty rate here is high. But you know this neighborhood is full of wonderful people, and they just need help and love and they just want to be embraced. And this house that you see we've been working on for a couple days, a group of students and adults from Crossroads has come here and gutted this house out in two days. And this house is gonna be a new, uh, energy efficient, maintenance-free house that we're gonna be able to sell to a family at a very modest price so they can reinvest in this neighborhood and improve, uh, improve the neighborhood and improve their lives. If you own or represent a company that does plumbing or electrical or HVAC or roofing or carpentry or any of those skills, we would challenge you to jump into this house that I'm standing in today. Jump into this house with us and help us reestablish this symbol of hope and then to go to the next house and the next house and the next house, making a difference in this neighborhood, not only physically with the houses, but spiritually by bringing the light and presence of Christ to this neighborhood as well. You can get a hold of us by simply sending an email to volunteer at communityone.org. And we'd love to talk to you about this project and many more projects we have waiting all across our community.
I gotta tell you, we love partnering with Community One. And uh, as Dave said a moment ago, this is an opportunity for all of us to actively be a part of the kingdom of God. And one thing that we've learned this summer is that where there is brokenness, where there is darkness, those are places of our community where the kingdom of God has yet to come. And so our project at TP Park is just one of those practical ways that uh, we are gonna bring about uh, what is in heaven here on earth. And so I just wanna encourage you to check out the community one uh, kiosk out in the lobby directly after this service. If you have an interest at all uh, in partnering with us and serving uh, at Community One. Also, next weekend, we are going to have a big car show here directly after this service. All the proceeds from that car show are going to go directly to Community One. All right. Good deal for me. I love cars. I love justice. And that's going to be when those two worlds collide. And so uh, be sure and check out uh, the car show next weekend here on our Newburgh campus. Now this weekend, we wrap up this series that we've been in for the past several weeks called Lost in Translation, where we've been identifying different ways to connect with God. And in this series, what we've done is we've gone through different chapters in the book of Psalms, looking at what it takes to listen, hear, and express ourselves to our Creator. Now, we know that the book of Psalms serves as kind of like a language guide in helping us communicate and interact with God. Now, you and I both know that the longer you know somebody, the more how you communicate and interact with them tends to evolve and change over time, right? I mean, for example, the way my wife Savannah and I talk with each other looks much different than whenever our relationship first began, all right? Now, Savannah and I grew up together in Louisville, Kentucky. We were a part of the same school, same church. Her dad was one of my pastors. My dad was one of her doctors. And, and my sister was her small group leader in high school. And so we always knew of each other. We were somewhat distant friends. But our relationship really took a turn whenever we went on a leadership retreat together in the fall of my senior year and her junior year. So one afternoon we were talking and our conversation went beyond just the surface level dialogue and apparently something was said in that conversation, Savannah found me to be irresistible, all right? And later that night after dinner, we wanted to talk even more. And so we kind of peeled off from our group that night, went into the woods and talked on a park bench for several hours. I tried to tell her that that was breaking the rules, but she wouldn't listen to me, all right? Pastors' kids tend to really be the worst, all right? And now that I'm telling you this, what makes the story even better is we were both dating different people at the time. <laughs> and uh, our story is kind of like a country music song now that I think about it. <laughs> and so that night we talked and we laughed for what seemed like several hours. We thought it was just a few minutes. We got back to the cabin only to realize that our entire team, teachers and all, had been looking for us. And so being the man, wanting to take responsibility and explain ourselves, I spoke up and I said, hey, look, I am so sorry about this. This was all Savannah's idea. All right. And so we talked, we laughed, we connected. And that night we realized that we wanted to be together for a really long time. And so two years later, we got engaged. And shortly after that, we ended up getting married, uh, get, getting married, getting married. All right. Now that was a defining moment for us in our relationship. All right. But let me ask you this question. How good of a relationship would we have today if we never really conversed and talked and interacted after that initial moment on the retreat together that one night, 
I mean, isn't there so much more to experience and discover about each other than maybe a one-time conversation that happened years ago? I mean, that night was really important. Again, it was a defining moment in our relationship, but the reality is Savannah and I are together today. We are still married. We have a good relationship because of this ongoing, constant communication between the two of us. Now, the reality is we've all come here today at different points in our journey with God. Some of us were skeptical of this whole Jesus thing. I mean, it's a miracle that you think you even showed up. You're surprised the roof hasn't caved in yet. Others of us, we, we grew up in church. We we're very familiar with the culture of church. And, and a lot of us have walked in here pointing to, we, we can point to a defining moment in our relationship with God. Maybe for you, it, it happened when you were on a retreat. Or it could be when you prayed some prayer. That, that was when your relationship with Jesus really began. Or it could be when you were baptized. That was a benchmark in your walk with him. Yet, if you're honest with yourself, for some of us, we, we had that initial moment. We had that defining moment. Yet in our relationship with Jesus, it just kind of went downhill from there, Right? I mean, it's not that you've never interacted with him from that point in time. I mean, you occasionally pray, you give him a nod every now and then, you show up at church occasionally, but if you're honest with yourself, Jesus is just kind of one of many different compartments that we have in life. And so a lot of us just feel as if God is distant. God is unaware of our circumstances. He's overlooked us. And, and some of us even are just frustrated and angry at God. And yet I wonder how many of us, we come here today and we're expecting to connect with God based upon a one-time moment that we maybe had with him years ago. Now, we wouldn't reserve that to our relationships with others. We would say that that's crazy, that for a relationship to develop, that it would be based upon a one-time experience, yet that kind of describes how some of us have a relationship with Jesus. And and so as a result, you just feel like he's distant and isolated and, and he's just irrelevant to your life. And so I wonder, I wonder how many of us we have, we've really lost what it means to worship. I wonder how many of us, we, we, we've just forgotten what it really means to praise and, and worship our God. Because when we look in scripture, worship is something that connects us to our creator. It's something that is ongoing. As we learned last weekend, we are all worshiping something or someone. Why? Because we've been created with this instinct, with this innate nature to worship and glorify something or someone. And so if Jesus, if our creator is not the object of our affection, that means that something else is. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and uh, turn to the New uh, Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bibles, all right, in between Job and Proverbs. If you don't own a Bible, there's a black Bible right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's all right on that table as you walked in a moment ago. Uh, that's our gift to you. Take it home with you. We want you to get acquainted with it. Now, today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 150. It's the last chapter in the book of Psalms, all right? And uh, as you're turning there, by brief show of hands, how many of you took me up on the challenge from last weekend to just read through Psalm 145 every day and just reflect on God's goodness? Okay, four of us love Jesus, all right? <laughs> we can do better than that, all right? That may be some of the issues, all right? So some of us, we, we've misguided our worship from time to time. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through this text and, and see what 
God really uh, is looking for in our uh, worship with him. And we're gonna see that it's an ongoing language that can keep us near him. And so check out verse one. Here's what the psalmist writes. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, nobody knows for certain who wrote this psalm, but I want you to notice how the writer at the very beginning refers to God as the Lord. All right, the title Lord communicates authority and dominion. It refers to the strength and might of our God. While there may be many gods that we have in our life, there is only one who has ultimate authority and power. John was a really close friend of Jesus and he actually provides us a biography on the life of Christ and, and he gives us a very accurate eyewitness record of some things that Jesus did. He recorded what happened the night that the soldiers first arrested Jesus before then going through a fixed trial and then later that next day being hung on a cross. It was nighttime. And it was difficult for these soldiers to decipher who was Jesus. Now realize that these soldiers were not struggling to bench press 250, all right? They were the best of the best. They were swole. And so when they got to Jesus in the garden where he was praying, they asked him if he was Jesus of Nazareth. John doesn't say that Jesus ran away. John doesn't say that, that Jesus in that moment denied it. He doesn't say that he called upon the angels in heaven to come and save him, which he could have done. Instead, Jesus simply responded to the question of the soldiers by saying, I am he. Now his response was, wasn't just an answer to the soldier's question. You see, Jesus was declaring that he was the Lord of Lords. Now perhaps that's why after saying that, John added this tiny little detail in his account that we have a tendency to, to overlook and just skim past. And that's this, that when Jesus said, I am he, all the soldiers fell to the ground at once. Now make no mistake about it. Nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus wasn't just some you know, defenseless victim. No person, no army, government, or office is greater than the king of kings. And so in that moment, Jesus knew something that's tough for us to see at times. There in the garden, Jesus realized that it would, be, that it would either be us that would have to be crucified, us that would, have to, that would have to die because of our rebellion and our sin, or it would be him. And so what do true leaders, true men, and true warriors do? They go first even if it's not their fault or responsibility. Therefore, in verse one of our text, by the, by the use of one simple word, we realize that God doesn't need us. He doesn't struggle for control or authority. He's not a God who panics or has to manipulate us. He's our warrior who is one for us. You see, our response to God is a direct reflection of our perspective of God. It is absolutely impossible for us to have a perspective of God that is too big and is too great. Check out verse two. The writer continues to say, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Now we, we need to try to imagine how Jews in the ancient world would have read this verse here, okay? And so this was not just a subtle reference to God creating the complex and intricate universe. More than that, it was more personal for the Jewish people. 
All right, when they read about God's mighty acts of power, all right, they, they would have recalled a specific moment in time. Now, for us to realize this, we need to understand that the Jewish people had a relationship with God much like ours, all right? It was very on again, off again, one minute. They were serving and loving God alone, and then the next minute they were bowing down to some golden calf. And, and it's not too much of a stretch for us to say today that the Israelites struggled with what we might call spiritual ADD, all right? How many of you by Brief Show fans struggle with ADD? All right, yeah, join the club, me too. We should, support, we should form a support group later, all right? Now, those who know me that know that I really struggle with this, that it's tough for me to maintain attention at times, and my wife, of all people, really knows this, okay? And so here's what happens at night when we sit down on the couch to talk and converse. We might be in a conversation for 15 minutes when she then asks me a question. And when she asks me a question, I start to panic. I panic because I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and so early on in my marriage, I just learned to say, you know what, that's a great question, Savannah. Why don't I think about it? Let's talk about it a little bit more and I'll pray about it, all right? <laughs> now we all know that distraction can be an enemy when it comes to connecting with other people in our life, right? And yet nothing can make us more frustrated, bitter, discontent, fearful, and insecure than lacking attention to the faithfulness of God. You see, when we forget who God is, we lose sight of what he's already done. And so the call to praise God for his acts of power was an invitation for the Jewish people to personally remember that all God had done for them. Nothing surfaced more praise in the Jewish people than looking back and realizing that had God not exercised his compassion with his authority, that they would still be an oppressed people in slavery, living a miserable life in Egypt. But what God did in his infinite grace and compassion was he told a man named Moses, whom he selected to lead the Jews out of oppression, he said to him, I've heard my people's cry and I am going to rescue them. Now, let me ask you something. How would you worship differently if you really knew that God heard your cry and he was gonna rescue you? A lot of us walk in here today feeling as if we are enslaved, enslaved to something, enslaved to a circumstance. Maybe you feel enslaved to not being able to conceive a child. You feel enslaved to a boss that is just miserable to work for. You feel enslaved to a bad marriage. You feel enslaved to an addiction. You feel enslaved to, you know, memories of a loved one just keep resurfacing in your mind over and over again. And so you naturally wonder, God, where are you? There are a lot of us here today. I know, I've talked with you. You feel as if you can't even worship God because your pain speaks so loudly. And so what if one day you'll be able to look back on this season of your life upon these circumstances and you will realize that God was a lot closer than you thought? I mean, what if you realize that in spite of all the grief that you've gone through and the struggle that you were, you were closer to deliverance and God rescuing you than you even realized in the moment? You see, God has a good pattern of rescuing us in the midst of our desperation. Now let's pick back up in our text here. Verse three. The psalmist says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and the lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. 
Now, in the ancient world, instruments were used for a variety of reasons. One of the more significant events in Judaism was uh, the trumpet and how it was used during a certain celebration called the year of Jubilee. Now, God commanded that this year be observed for a year straight every 50 years. Now, during the year of Jubilee, God told the Israelites that every piece of property was to be sold back to the original owner. God commanded that all debts be canceled, no matter how great, no matter how big the debts may be. This was also a time when God declared that every slave, every person who had been put in bondage had to be released and they weren't allowed to be bought back after the year was up. And so you can imagine why the year of Jubilee was what every slave lived for. I mean, it represented a second chance. And so the sound of a trumpet was more than just a glaring noise that could be heard all throughout the land. Now, when the sound of it met your ears, you stopped what you were doing and you instantly experienced freedom. You see, your hope in that moment had become your reality. Now, fast forward with me a few thousand years later to the first century and imagine that that you were brought up in Judaism. That was the religion that you had been brought up in and you were very knowledgeable about your heritage. You had learned from your mom and dad and from your grandparents and from different instructors. You knew God's word well. And because of that, ever since you were little, you were told about a person, a God man who was gonna come to earth and and rescue, rescue the Jewish people. You didn't know what he would look like or when he would come, but you just knew that at some point in time he was gonna come. And so then one day you hear about this guy named Jesus, you chose to believe him, and then you began to follow him. Now the more you learned about him and what Christ provides, a collision would have taken place in your mind, especially, get this, at the sight or sound of a trumpet. Why is that? Well, because in the foreknowledge and brilliance of our God, you realized that the year of Jubilee was simply a foreshadowing of Christ. Therefore, the sound of a trumpet meant that freedom wasn't just reserved for a year that occurred every 50 years. No, because every person since Adam and Eve has been enslaved to sin and the consequences of sin, Jesus has now freed us in this life and for all of eternity. Now, this sounds a little bit backwards. This even sounds a little bit morbid and bizarre, but that means this, that the, sa- that the sight of the cross is really the sound of a trumpet. You see, what the cross tells us is that we no longer owe a debt that we can't pay. The cross tells us that we have been free. The cross tells us that, that we have forgiveness, that we have everlasting joy that can last for all of eternity. A year of jubilee isn't just reserved for a one-time event. It is an everyday reality for those who submit themselves to the cross. And perhaps this is why a guy named Paul wrote to a church in the first century because these people were messed up and they were just struggling with the idea of a year of Jubilee being their reality constantly. And so he said this to them, Galatians chapter four, so you are no longer a slave, all right? But you're God's child. Year of Jubilee has become your reality. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, the reality of our adoption into the family of God, 
all right, was so monumental that it inspired the very first believers to gather together with other brothers and sisters in Jesus as kind of like a a family reunion on the first day of every week to worship and praise and, and be reminded of why we're free, why we're forgiven, of why we can claim victory. Now, you and I both know that the longer you do something, though it may have started out as something exciting at the beginning, over the course of time, the more you do it, it just kind of morphs into complacency and you get apathetic over time, right? You know what I'm talking about, all right? I mean, what started out as energetic kind of morphs into familiarity. I mean, for example, if you go to a restaurant directly after the service and say you walk into this restaurant and you see a couple sitting at a table and they're just glaring into each other's eyes. They're kind of lost in their little world and they're giggling, they're giddy. What would you conclude about them if you didn't know them? They're dating, right? Okay, suppose someone, another couple was sitting at another table beside them and they're just kind of looking at each other, dozing off into the distance. They're playing with their phone. They're not really talking. They look as if they've just come from a funeral. What would you conclude about them? They're married, right? (laughs) You know it's true, right? And so sometimes that can happen with us, with God, right? Especially when we're told to gather each and every week as his family, that what maybe started out as passionate, what maybe started out as something that was exciting, it was an experience that you had, all of a sudden just kind of morphs into the routine. And and so perhaps a lot of us, we have misguided our worship somewhere along the way and And the reason why you feel like, God, I just don't know if you're near me. Perhaps it's the result of of not understanding what worship is and what worship is not. And so what we're going to do just for the next few moments is look at what worship is and what worship is not. Because it's important that we define it, but it's also important that we clarify what, what it's not. The first reminder for us goes like this. The worship is about who, not what. Worship is about who, not what. What? The who is obviously Jesus, all right? Now, this seems really basic, yet misplacing our worship usually, especially in the church, isn't so obvious. Sometimes the biggest idols that we struggle with are so closely associated with God that we aren't even aware of it. Now, there's something within each of us, it's a natural human tendency that we want to elevate people higher than where they should belong. And, and we really have a culture of doing this in America with celebrities. And, and honestly, it's probably not much different in the church. And as, a, as your pastor and having been in ministry several years now, I can tell you that people tend to elevate us who are in ministry much higher than we really should be and, and where we really deserve or belong. And and yet this is precisely where a lot of us tend to misplace our affection and worship, forgetting, all right, who it's all about. There's a letter in scripture written to a church that was being divided because some people were separating themselves based upon which pastor called on them in the hospital, which pastor was leading their small group and, and which pastor had led them to the Lord. And so one of those guys whom the people were actually identifying themselves with wrote to them, a guy named Paul, he just wrote that letter that we read a moment ago in Galatians. He, he basically steps in and he says this, check out verse seven. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. He's talking about pastors. He's talking about leaders. He's talking about maybe people that have influenced you, who have led you to the Lord, that were nothing, all right? But only God. And God is the one who makes things grow. You see, these believers had become so infatuated 
with certain leaders that it was dividing the church. I mean, one group took pride that, that a man named Apollos had led them to Jesus, and yet another took pride about the fact that, that Paul had actually baptized them. And yet slowly and subtly over time, their focus had shifted from Jesus to a pastor. Their identity was in a person, not a savior. Now let me be really honest with you for just a moment. It's not about me. It's not about my preaching, it's not about my personality or my leadership. The foundation of Crossroads has nothing to do with that. It hasn't been that way for 50 years and it's not gonna be for the next 50 years. And yet, there is a tendency to put us up higher than we really deserve. And so I just wanna encourage you to not put me or any other leader here at our church in a position where we are higher than where we deserve to belong. You see, it was Jesus who died for you, not me. It's Jesus who saves you, not me. Not anybody else on our staff. It's Jesus who is perfect, not me, all right? And so if I haven't disappointed you yet, just give me a few more weeks, all right? It's bound to happen at some point. <laughs> Someone once said that the higher we put pastors up on pedestals, the more prone they are to topple over. And so let's remember that it's about Jesus. It's not about any one of us. And so maybe it's not a personality that you have a tendency to direct your worship, but maybe you idolize the church. You idolize a certain ministry. All right, now again, this is something that's not always identifiable. Uh, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, author Peter Cesaro talks about how sometimes we have this tendency to use God to run from God. Now, it's difficult to determine because that which we are guiding our worship towards, that which we are looking to, is so closely associated with God that we get so wrapped up in activity and all of our disciplines and, and different things that are tools to be used, and yet... It's not, it, over time, it doesn't become about Jesus. And so if you are constantly maybe frustrated, if you find yourself in, in just a season where you're constantly churning over certain things, let's remember that it's about Jesus. He's the one who promised that he's not gonna change. He's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we gather together as the church, it's about celebrating our hope about the fact that we serve a God 2,000 years ago, crashed his own funeral three days after being put to death. And so worship is about who, not what. Second reminder goes like this. Worship is about why, not how. Worship is about why, not how. About a month after Jesus ascended to heaven, the book of Acts tells us about the very first church that was established. All right, it was located right in the middle of a city called Jerusalem. And, and we're told that thousands of people were a part of it. Now, a lot of the time when they gathered, it was done in public places for everybody to see. And one of the reasons for that was because they wanted outsiders to realize that this group of people had found something better, had found something new, that their identity was now in something much more secure. Jesus was their joy. And so even when they were ridiculed or misunderstood, by gathering together for worship, the early believers' problems were made smaller. Why? Because their view of the Lord was made larger. The author of Acts also tells us that the first church gathering caused outsiders to be drawn in. Now, here's the thing. When a person who is outside of a relationship with Jesus attends church with you, they can sense that there is something indescribable in the atmosphere. 
You do not have to know God to know and experience his presence. Sam and her friends, we just witnessed a moment ago, that's evidence of it. You see, some may not know it at first, but something supernatural occurs when we listen to God's word preached and declare his glory through singing. This is why Psalm 22 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Jesus would later tell us that where two or three are gathered, there I'm with you also. Paul would go on to say that, hey, whenever you preach the word of God, it is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Don't ever get away from that. You see, why we worship always supersedes how we worship. And how we worship changes over time. We serve a God who is a God of diversity. He's creative, and so that shifts. And and so how the church worshiped 100 years ago looks looks much different than the way the church worships today in song and service and and all that. Now, I know that there's been a lot of rumors kind of circulating our church body for the past summer, and a lot of us are just concerned about uh, the, the changes that have been made and how worship looks and how it feels and seems just much different than it was a year ago. And I just want to reassure you guys that, all right, the choir's not going anywhere. All right, we have no plans to cancel the choir, but I would ask you this to pray for us, all right, while we search for a new worship pastor who's going to oversee our worship department. All right, we need a lot of discernment and wisdom when it comes to this. We're about six months into this process, and so we would love for you to join us in this, in this journey and be praying that God would lead us to the right person. Now, I know that seasons of transition and change, it's not easy. I mean, my family, our, our world has been totally rocked within the past year, so I get it. I'm with you on this, all right? But blessed are the flexible for they shall never be bent out of shape. (laughs) I don't even have that in my notes. It just came to me. I'm impressed, all right? (laughs) And so I just want to encourage you to keep being patient with us in all seriousness. Keep being patient with us. We're going to make mistakes, all right? I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to disappoint you, all right? But let's remember that our hope and and glory is not in a person. It's not in a ministry. It's not even in a church. That's why Hebrews 12 tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, not the church. Keep our eyes on the one who saves us, the one who rescues us. Why? Because he's not going to disappoint, right? And so I really believe that our best days as a church are still before us. But let's do this together. Let's be in on this. And let's be patient. Because you know what? We're all going to screw up, all right? And uh, that's okay because we serve one who, who, who won't screw up. Last reminder goes like this. The worship is about when, not where. Worship's about when, not where. The central target of worship has never been personal benefits. The focus has never been about receiving something. You see, God is most honored by us when we constantly search for ways to give back and serve others. And so the more important question isn't when are you serving, all right? Or where, I'm sorry, the more important question isn't where are you serving, but when and how often. You see, worship in the kingdom of God is about service as a lifestyle. True worship is about approaching the weekend, looking for ways to give yourself rather than to feed yourself. You see, the upside down way of Jesus is that we feed ourselves only when we surrender ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verses four through six, describes what worship looks like within the church family by saying this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, with many different body parts, and these members do not have all the same function, 
So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. All right, we all make up the body of Jesus. Some of us are arms and some of us are armpits. All right? (laughs) You can interpret that how you want. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means that there is something unique and special about you that only you can do. Here's the thing, God doesn't need your worship, but do you know who does need your worship? The person sitting beside you? How about the person behind or in front of you? You see, even more importantly, you see all these empty rows, these empty chairs, these empty seats? Those are people who are not yet here yet, who don't know Jesus, they really need you. Last year, uh, a lady named Vicky reluctantly showed up here on a Sunday morning. It had been a while since she had visited any, visited any kind of church. And one of her biggest fears naturally showing up here at Crossroads was not knowing anybody and just feeling lost in the crowd. And, and it just so happened that as Vicky sat down in her seat a few minutes before the service, one of our section hosts, uh, J.D. Sloan, approached her uh, before service and just greeted her. It surprised her that of, out of everybody here at Crossroads that he singled her out, he looked her in the eye and he took an interest in her and struck up a conversation. And so all of a sudden, a really big church felt really small for her and she discovered that her nerves have subsided even before the music began. Well, that day, Vicki not only sat in a room full of hundreds of people praising and worshiping God, but she learned about a God who loved her so much that he sent his one and only son to die for her in her place, that if she believed in him, then she could have everlasting life and she wouldn't perish. And so she left that day and and she decided to come back. On another occasion, she showed up here and sat in a different section, in a different seat, and it just so happened that two different section hosts, Don and Donna Kipp, took an interest in her. Vicki later said that, that the Kipps made her feel as if she really mattered to God. Well, whatever skepticism she may have had towards the church, towards this whole Jesus thing, had been minimized over the course of time. And so she kept coming back. Vicki kept coming back until one weekend, She sat down after service and she told her section host that she was ready to give her life to Jesus. And so that next weekend, it was JD that introduced Vicky in this service in front of all of you and he baptized her. You see, in front of 1,200 people that day, Vicky told us that she was a new person, that she had crossed over from death to life, that she had been washed clean. Why? Because of what Jesus had done for her. But let me ask you something. Where would Vicky be today had JD not gone out of his way to sit down with her and simply take an interest in who she was? I mean, where would Vicky be if the Kips hadn't engaged her in conversation and put their arm around her and said, hey, I just want you to know that we love you and you matter to us. I can tell you for certain that Vicky wouldn't be here. No, but she learned to trust a God because she learned to trust the people of God. And that can make all the difference in the world for people who are searching and hungering. And that's what it means to be a part of the church. When our passion intersects with our gifts, the lives around us tend to change and the church is built up. This is why Paul wrote to another one of his churches by saying this in Ephesians chapter two, for we, talking about the church, are God's handy. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God is most glorified in us when we intentionally elevate others. When we serve the church, You are actively advancing the kingdom of God. 
Now let me make this more personal for you. When you volunteer in our nursery, you do a lot more than just watching babies for an hour, changing diapers, giving them a bottle, all right? Now while you are rocking them, you are giving a mom and a dad a much needed break and you're giving them a chance to experience the presence of God and know Jesus more. When you serve on our hospitality teams, you are doing more than greeting people in the hallway. No, you are a tangible illustration. You are a visible representation of the gospel, of this message that says, hey, you are welcome here regardless of what you bring in here, regardless of what your past has looked like. Do you know what it means if you volunteer in our middle school ministry? It means you're insane. But you know what it does mean? It means that you are being patient with students who all week long, all day long, are being taught that there's no meaning to life. And yet, when you serve them, when you are patient with them, when you teach them, you are reminding them that they are valuable and they matter to God and he longs to redeem them. I'm almost done. It's really interesting that when you look in the Bible, the first time the word worship appears, it's not in a gathering like this. The term worship isn't surrounded by a lot of instruments and singing and, and anything like that. The first time the word worship appears is in Genesis chapter 22 when God had just told a man named Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac up on an altar. Now, that seems a little bit bizarre. It seems like God is just bloodthirsty. Don't get so caught up in the details for, for, for the sake of this, all right? But whenever Abraham did that, he obeyed. He immediately went and did as God asked him. Now, we later would learn that it was really just a test. It was a way for, for God to determine where Abraham had been placing his trust and his faith. All right, so when Abraham and his whole entourage journey out to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham locks eyes on the place where he is going to sacrifice his son Isaac up on an altar. And do you know what the Bible says that Abraham told, turned and, and told all of his people that day? He said, you stay here, and me and the boy are going to go over there, and we're going to worship. You see, worship's about giving up something. And you see, we know that God asked Abraham to do that so that Abraham would realize and experience firsthand that God can always be trusted to provide, because that's exactly what happened that day. Abraham learned more than ever that that our God is faithful, that he is good, and that he will always come through and rescue us, maybe not in our timing, but in a timing of his choice. And so I just wanna get really practical here before we sing a few more songs and then get out of here. You'll notice that there are some cards there on the end of your pews. And there are a lot of us who come in here today, we aren't serving, we aren't worshiping through giving of ourselves. And, and we wanna give you an opportunity right now to, to not delay that decision, but to actually commit to saying, okay, I am not gonna approach the weekend, I am not gonna approach the church looking for everybody to meet my needs. No, I am gonna be the answer to people's questions. I am gonna be the one who is feeding other people. And so if that's where you're at and you wanna serve and you wanna worship and you wanna experience the faithfulness of God by emptying, by emptying yourself, then just fill out that card, mark off maybe a couple ministries on there that interest you. You could have no idea what ministry you wanna do. That's okay, we're gonna help you out with that. We have tools to come alongside you and help identify a ministry that is uh, good in regards to your passions and what you're good at. 
So fill that card out, drop it by our connection center directly after the service, which is just out the middle door here. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's on the opposite side of the atrium. There are two large baskets back there. And I just want you to take those cards. And I just want you to drop it back there. All right, we're gonna follow up with you this week. And we're committed to getting you connected on a team with other people who are worshiping alongside you by giving of themselves. Let me pray. And uh, then we're gonna sing a few more songs and get out of here. God, thank you that you can be trusted. That you are faithful. And God, I know that a lot of us, we, we've had a horrible week. It's been a horrible month. It's been a horrible few years. And, and God, we, we feel as if we can't worship you because you seem so immune and distant from our circumstances. And yet, God, would you just remind us that you can be trusted. And, and I'm confident, it's easy for me to say, and it's easy for me to look at it from this vantage point, But I know that there's gonna come a day for those of us who are struggling when they will be able to look back on these circumstances and realize that that you rescuing them was a lot sooner. It was gonna happen a lot quicker than they realized. God, you're with us. You are good. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that, that this church, it's all about you, Jesus, because you never change. And so, Lord, may our worship reflect us giving ourselves up so that the body of Jesus, your body, the church, may be built up. And God, more people everywhere may come to know you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand up and worship for a couple more songs, and then we'll be out of here. Let's sing these words together. I cast my mind to Calvary. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet My Savior on that cursed tree His body bound and drenched in tears They laid him down in Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all